Uh, welcome, uh, you 930 Cornerstonians, um, and welcome also to our brothers and sisters in the well and up in the well cafe. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jim Connor. I'm privileged to be one of the pastors uh, here at the church, uh, and I'm, I feel blessed to have the opportunity to share uh, this morning's message with you as we continue uh, in this summer of joy. Uh, what uh, you have to deal with every time I get up here to preach are some awful starting jokes. So here they are. Uh, what is, is a salesman's favorite scripture passage? The Great Commission. Where was Solomon's temple located? On the side of his head. What's a missionary's favorite kind of car? A convertible. This one's my favorite. How, how long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was... At what time of day was Adam created? It was just a little before Eve. <laughs> Do you need an ark? If so, I know a guy. <laughs> and finally, number seven. Why did the hawk sit on the church's steeple? Because it was a bird of prey. Let us pray. Let now the words from my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I believe we can make a good case that the Christian faith and the Bible are about joy. And there are three passages that I, I think speak very clearly to this. There are three familiar passages, uh, and so I want to start this morning's message for them. First. Uh, from my favorite version of the story of Christ's birth uh, from Luke chapter 2. Here now these verses uh, from that second chapter, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the fourth chapter, verses four through six. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And finally, from the 15th chapter of John, verse 11. Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Well, what is joy anyway? We can find all kinds of, of books about it. There's a book called The Joy of Cooking uh, that's been around for almost 80 years. There's The Joy of Vegan Baking. I'm not sure there's much joy that can be found there. <laughs> there's The Joy of X, which I understand is a math book. And there's the joy of sex, which is not a math book. But true joy is found in the good book. True joy is found in the stories of Jesus where we are called to trust in the Lord. The Bible distinguishes between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. Joy is not. Our happy moments may be joyful ones, but one can certainly know joy even in times of difficulty. And there, even in the summer of joy, there have been many moments of difficulty for many of us. It's not always 
a conducive time for us to be experiencing joy and rejoicing. And you can fill in the blank here with your, your own times of, of difficulty, your own times of mourning. We've had folks who've lost loved ones. We've had friends move away. Uh, it might come as a surprise to you, but it's been incredibly hot uh, this summer. But the good news in all of this is that I believe we feel joy most intently after we've experienced a time of distress. It's one thing to be happy when carrying around a cell phone that you take for granted. It's quite another to find that phone after hours and hours of searching for it or after you've resigned yourself into thinking you, you never will find it. Now, when I wrote this sermon a few days ago, I was talking about a wallet and then the wallet changed my keys. But since misplacing my wallet and my keys, I actually did misplace my phone. A, a year ago, I actually left my phone in the airport and that was terrifying. But on Friday, as I was running to Tom Thumb to get those eight items that I needed to have this be a perfect weekend, I drove there, got in and out of there in eight and a half minutes. was so excited. I got the little black cart that, that had the nice little rack. I put my wallet and my phone in it. Got the eight items, ran in, ran out, parked the car, emptied, or parked, went to the parked car, <laughs> got the items, took them out of the shopping cart, went where the shopping cart was supposed to go, tossed it across the aisle, went right in there, all the way to the back. Made a little noise at the end. I apologize to Tom Thumb people. Um, went home and relaxed. It was a time of great relaxation because there was no phone calls that I heard. <laughs> and about 40 minutes later, I decided, you know, I probably should check my email. And I checked my email on my phone and there was no phone to check my email. So I searched the house frantically, could not find it. Searched the garage, went into the car, dug in and out of the car. I could not find it. Came back into the house, sat down and said, oh my gosh, I put my wallet and my phone there in the top rack of that shopping cart. I must have left it there. Raced to the car, made it to Tom Thumb very quickly. <laughs> and then went over to the rack where that shopping cart was, was pushed Two carts were behind it, and there in the top rack was my cell phone. Joy. <laughs> Relief. Excitement. But that's really trivial in, in the sense of what joy is that, that we talk about when we talk about the joy that we know in the Lord, the joy that comes after a time of incredible mourning. I... Uh, believe it's one thing to live in God's grace when everything's going well, and it's quite another thing to experience that grace when we ourselves have been lost. And there's not one of us in here this morning who has not at one time or another in our life been lost. One writer put it this way, real joy comes after we've been willing to allow God to deal with the brokenness in our lives. We can't really express the joy of being found unless we are first able to name the fact that we have been lost that our identity has been compromised and that our fortunes have been squandered on things that have no ultimate value. Paul writes to us and others, rejoice always, do not worry about anything, but worry is something we do naturally. We worry about our cholesterol, our weight, we worry about our children, we worry about 
where we are going next. Our lists seem to go on and on and on. And I, I want to tell you that I think worry is one of those main things that keeps us from experiencing joy. Jesus, on the last evening of his life, knowing that he was just hours away from being betrayed and soon to be crucified, gathered with the disciples at a meal and said something which must, must have surprised them. He said, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now Paul's writing from prison and Jesus is writing on the eve of him dying. There's something going on here that is so profoundly good that the only appropriate response I believe for us to have is one of joy. Not guilt, not remorse, but joy. The disciples might have been confused, the people at Philippi might have been confused, but you and I shouldn't be confused because we know the story. We know how the story continues and we've had a lot of time to practice it. On a dark night long ago, shepherds were surprised by a bright light and then an angel appeared and said to them, do not be afraid for see I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. From his birth, to his death, to his resurrection, to his appearances afterwards, the story of Jesus Christ is the story of joy. Because of the birth of a child in Bethlehem, there was good news of great joy. Because that child became a man and, and shared love and compassion with others, there was good news of great joy. And because his followers continued to find in him comfort and courage in times for them of their suffering and tragedy, there was good news of great joy. And today, in whatever circumstances you and I find ourselves, God comes to us to give us life, to give us hope to fulfill our lives with promise and fullness. And that truly is good news of great joy. Ironically, the Christian church is not always thought of as a place of great rejoicing. Duke professor Philip Caldwell tells a story of his grandmother who late in her life decided she needed to find another church. He asked her about it and this is how she responded. She responded that in the new church she finally found uh, for the first time God's loving presence. She said, God wants me to be happy. I never knew that before. She said, I thought church was about keeping me from doing what I was not supposed to do and I never felt like I was good enough. How incredibly sad that that's what she had learned at her church. And I trust and pray that that's not the way you feel here. I trust and pray that you feel God's presence in a real way, that you feel welcomed, and that you know in God's eyes and through Jesus Christ, you were certainly more than good enough. A number of years ago, I think it was in seminary, I first saw the following picture, which is gonna appear on the screen in front of us. It's entitled, The Laughing Jesus. Is there anyone in this room who hasn't seen this picture before? Would you raise your hand? Good for you. This is The Laughing Jesus. Um, it caught me by surprise a little bit, not that I, I didn't assume Jesus laughed. Jesus was a storyteller. Uh, Jesus enjoyed being with the disciples. The disciples made so many poor decisions, said so many um, not so smart things, uh, that Jesus had to laugh at times. So this is called the Smiling Jesus, but there's also other pictures that have been 
this is another picture of smiling Jesus. This is Jesus getting ready to, to model for a GQ magazine, I think. It was <laughs> very well done. Uh, there's a third picture I found of a smiling Jesus. Uh, Jesus just got back from the dentist, I think, in this one. <laughs> Let's go back to the first picture. Um, please, thank you. Uh, there were not pictures back in Jesus' day. I just want to make sure we all know that. And so this is uh, one artist's uh, depiction of, of what he thought Jesus looked like uh, and what Jesus looked like laughing. Uh, this is a joyful Jesus. And dear friends, I want you to embed this in your memories or come up with your own picture of that because there, there is some, some comfort in knowing that Jesus experienced joy, not just experienced joy, embodied joy, and not just embodied joy, but promised us that he wanted our joy to be complete. And that, dear friends, is a very, very good thing. Uh, the truth is, we live in a world where there's plenty to be unhappy about. And while I don't want to dwell on that, I believe that the part of the reason that we're unhappy is because we've bought into the belief that uh, life is about the pursuit of happiness, when in reality, life should be more about our following God's will and direction. Uh, if happiness is the byproduct of faithful living, that's absolutely awesome. I truly believe God wants us to be happy, uh, but happiness is not the purpose of our life. Uh, following God's will is. Uh, I think often we're not happy because we're looking for happiness in the wrong places. A survey a while back asked Americans uh, why they find themselves unhappy and surprising the, the number one answer was not money, uh, but the number one answer uh, was time. Uh, there was a belief that there's never enough time. It takes all of our time to do what we have to do and then when we wanna do the things we want to do, there isn't time for it. At least that's the response that a lot of Americans give. Well, I want to name this for you. If we are living too fast, then we're missing much of what God has in store for us. The simple life, a simple life in which we can find perhaps more enjoyment and we can find our joy. Hurry causes us to commit, I believe, one of the uh, greatest possible sins against our neighbors, ignoring them. We need to make time for each other. We need to put down our lists of things to do or reorganize them in a way that will leave time for uh, fellowship and for sharing joy. I remember hearing House Speaker Sam Rayburn say that the three most important words in the English language are these, wait a minute. So I want you to repeat those words uh, each day this week uh, at a time when you're in a hurry, at, at a time when you think that, that you absolutely have to be somewhere. Wait a minute, T take a deep breath, and then think of other things you can be doing. Uh, calling someone who you know would love a call, stopping by and seeing someone you haven't seen, uh, perhaps being reconciled in a relationship that's been broken for a while. Just wait a minute. Worry and hurry, I think those are two things that preclude us often from experiencing joy. In seminary, one of my favorite uh, theologians was a, a German by the name of Jürgen Moltmann. And he wrote something that, that is something I remember and something that I continue to try and understand. He said, a person who is certain of eternal life has a great deal of time. 
A person who is certain of eternal life has a great deal of time. Well, maybe it is our sense of mortality. Maybe it is our our fear of death that makes us want to live an accelerated life so that we can accomplish everything, whatever those everythings might be. And so we find ourselves in time distress. We, We find ourselves experiencing an absence of joy because we're going way, way, way too fast. The wisdom of our faith is that we gain our faith by losing it, by that being a servant will make us happier than we've ever been before, that our call is to find something that we love passionately, something important enough that we're willing to live and die for. And that will in fact produce joy, God's joy, the joy of Jesus. And the joy that Jesus said was his that he wants us to have as well. Uh, A few months ago, I was reading some essays by Anne Lamott, a great writer, and she was quoting uh, her pastor. And her pastor said, if we want, he was talking about rejoicing, rejoice. And the pastor said, if we want to get our joyce back, we need to have had joy in the first place. And I kind of like the way that sounded. Uh, I think all of us, we, we need to get our joyce back. Um, and if you look at Joyce being a combination of joy and juice, maybe that'll be an easier way uh, to understand it, but we've got to find our Joyce again. We've we got to be able to name that and claim that. We've got to be able to live that, express that. And for many of us, that's probably just thinking back to, to moments when we truly experience joy. Uh, I'm going to share just a, a, a few of those moments in my life, and, and maybe uh, they will resonate with you, or I'm certainly you have your own. Um, when, I, when I think of joy, uh, I often uh, think back to, to when my, my boys were, were little. Uh, I remember b- being at a friend's house with uh, his three children and my two boys. All of them were under the age of seven. Um, and we were out back uh, on a porch and, and the four of us, the uh, two couples were talking uh, and, and the kids were downstairs and they were playing downstairs and, and suddenly it was real, real quiet down there. And parents, as we sometimes get, notice uh, that it was unusually quiet and, and got a little worried until there was one laugh. And then the one laugh turned into two and three and four and five. And it was an uncontrollable laugh that was so, so joyful uh, that it, it just is one of those memories that I will always hold on to of, of being uh, sure that, that we are all God's children and that God calls us to live in joy and there is joy in being together and, and, and being alive and, and experiencing that kind of love. Uh, it might come to surprise you that, that I, I find joy often in, in the midst of, of funeral services and, and, and those gatherings. Uh, this last month has, has been a very diff, difficult one in terms of, of some some people that we have known and loved uh, who have, have gone on uh, to be in God's near presence. Now, it's not always a very happy time for families, but, but let me tell you, there, there often, often is joy as, as families come together, as friends come together to share in stories, uh, stories of, of moments of love and, and moments of peace and happiness. When people get together who haven't seen each other for a while, there's joy. And and oftentimes when there's people who come together who have had difficulties with each other, sometimes they're able to bury the hatchet and and find reconciliation. And there's certainly joy. Regardless of the circumstances of the death of our loved ones, 
there should be joy in our knowing that, that our loved one is now free from pain, free from the limitations that this life offers, and in God's near presence, enjoying the joy of the Lord in a very real and new and powerful way. And so we, we should be able to experience that joy even though we're not very happy. I think the final, um, well, let me segue into a, a story that was told at, at a funeral. Um, one of my colleagues talked about um, being a pastor in a small town and um, he had a, one of the friends of one of the giants in the community speak at the funeral. And this man the, who had died was very uh, wealthy uh, at a time and he gave money for the, the building of the community building and for the library. He'd just been very, very generous and really his, his hands were, were stamped a, across the city. And the, the man who spoke at the funeral recalled the story of gathering with that man uh, sometime after the depression. Um, and he asked the, the following questions. He said, uh, don't you wish you had kept the money that you gave to build this building? And without hesitation, the man said, no. All that I kept for myself is gone. Only that which I give away, gave away remains. Now, dear friends, let me tell you, it brings me great joy to be able to slip in a stewardship message on a Sunday in July. <laughs> but, but hear it for what it's worth. And I believe it's worth a lot. Joy comes from our willingness to give of ourselves in ways that make a difference. Joy comes from our willingness to share the blessings we've had in ways that really can transform lives and not just in the here and now, but for years and years to come. Being faithful, being joyful is recognizing that we have been blessed and we are called to bless others. Dear friends, we have a freedom. We cannot always decide what happens to us but we get to decide how we will respond to whatever happens. And how we respond makes all the difference in the world. So perhaps we should remember Paul who wrote from prison, the one who told us, even while he was in prison, rejoice and be thankful. As I end the sermon this morning, I gave the Saturday evening folks a, a chance to decide whether I would tell this last story or not. Um, and so as I tell this, you can blame them. But hear this. There were psychiatry students who were in an emotional extreme class. And the professor said, let's examine the parameters. What's the opposite of joy, he asked. And one student replied, sadness. What's the opposite of depression, he asked another student. Elation was the response. And the opposite of woe, the professor asked a young woman from Texas. And she replied, sir, I believe that would be giddy up. <laughs> Happy trails.